Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm really excited to be up here. I uh, This morning, I entered the room, entered the building, and I had a lot of concern for me. Um, somebody, a few, bunch of people actually asked, why am I wearing a different pair of glasses? Uh, this answer is simple. My dog ate them. Um, so I have a new pair of glasses. And then a lot of people were concerned about my shirt. Um, and honestly, I just wore it because I'm just ready for some football to start. It's preseason, but I'll still, I'll take it. You know, I'll take any football. Um, and I, I guess I understand why you'd be, I mean, we're the six-time Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. So, I mean, I guess if I wore a brown shirt or a Bengal shirt or something like that, maybe there wouldn't be as much angst. But I get it. I get it. Um, so, anyways, if you brought your brick-and-mortar Bible, um, the main passage we're going to be going to is Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, I know we're in a series on Matthew, and we, we do have a core text in Matthew, but we're going to be camping out in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, our, our main text for um, today is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the, and then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. A couple of things that really stick out to me real quick as we enter our message is um, that, first, that, that last portion where Jesus says there's a problem. We need to pray. And that's going to be what we're mainly focused on today is, is Jesus' power in prayer. Jesus' power when we pray. Um, but the other portion I really, that really sticks out to me is that you know, Jesus, he's looking out into this crowd and he sees people who have tried and tried and tried, again, their own way to make things work, to make ends meet, to, to stop this fighting with their spouses, to help their kids get to where they want them to go. They've tried and tried and tried their own methods, and it keeps coming up short. And he sees a group of people who need a Savior. He sees a group of people who, need, who are searching for something. And Jesus sees that and said he had compassion on them because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Another passage in Scripture puts it this way. The thief, Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that you will have life and have it abundantly. He saw that crowd and he had compassion on them because they needed Jesus. They needed him. They needed a shepherd. They needed somebody to follow. They needed something worth following. They needed meaning. They needed purpose. They needed to stop running their own direction. And it kind of made me, I don't know why I thought of this example, but I had a funny, funny story to share. Have anybody seen the movie Dumb and Dumber. Um, so I don't know why I thought of this story, but it's the one that stuck out to me. Um, so Dumb and Dumber, if you haven't seen it, it's been out for a long time. I'm going to spoil it for you. My policy is if, you, if it's been out for six months and you still haven't seen it, it's okay to spoil. Um, so Dumb and Dumber, it, it, it opens with uh, Jim Carrey's character named Lloyd Christmas. Um, and he's driving um, a cute girl to the airport, a girl that he thinks is really cute. And um, he looks at her, and he, he brings his A-game level pickup line, and he says, why are you flying to the airport? You fly in somewhere? You know, I mean, just, just really good, really good stuff. And obviously she was. 
Um, so she, she, he's, he's driving her and she gets out of the, out of the car and, um, she heads into the, to get on the plane, but he sees that she forgot her luggage, um, right next to the, right next to the entrance. So he sprints to pick it up. He tries to make it into the plane to, um, help her, but he can't, um, he accidentally falls off the jetway. Um, <laughs> it's bad, it's fine. Uh, and so he decides, he says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to drive from, the east all the way to Denver, Colorado, to give her her luggage. So he, he meets up with the other guy he's living with named Harry. Um, and Lloyd and Harry decide that they're going to travel cross-country to um, Colorado to give this girl her luggage. They don't have enough money, so they got to figure out some ways to make money. So they go to the next-door neighbor who's blind, and they sell them their dead parrot um, to make a couple extra bucks. They sold some batteries and baseball cards, whatever they could do to scrounge up a little extra money. Um, and then they, they're off on their way. They're driving in their, their truck uh, all the way to Colorado. And they make it about three-fourths of the way or so. And um, Harry, he was driving the whole time. He, decide, he says, I'm tired, Lloyd. Can you drive? Lloyd says, sure, no problem. Lloyd, he starts driving. He, he gets real tired. He falls asleep and kind of wakes up. And at that point, it was too late. He had already turned in the wrong direction. And the next morning when Harry woke up, he realized they were almost back where they started. Um, so Lloyd took them halfway across the country in the wrong direction. And so then they don't have enough money to get to Colorado, so they do the only thing that seems sensible. They sell the truck and they buy a moped. Um, because mopeds have 100 miles to the gallon. You can get anywhere on a moped. So they end up getting this moped. They end up making it to Colorado. And... Uh, they don't have enough money for a hotel room, so they, they go and they find this kind of quiet place, and they start a fire, and, you know, they're warming their hands. They're, they're, they're just trying to stay warm because it's freezing. It's wintertime. And Harry looks at Lloyd, and he says, my hands are so cold, I can basically cut them off. They're so cold. Uh, I need to do something. And, and Lloyd looks at him and says, why don't you take my gloves? I've got an extra pair on. <laughs> I've got two pairs. He says, you had two pairs the whole time? You know, I like... <laughs> And uh, the whole point of that story is we look at how Mary got to Denver, Colorado. We see that her trip was get on a plane, fly there, get off, get home, get to bed, rest. And we see what Harry and Lloyd had to do. They were struggling and struggling and struggling and barely made it to Colorado. And I want you to know that's the difference of what it looks like to, to be shepherded by Jesus or to be trying to do life on your own. I'm not saying the Christian life is easy because it's not, but it's so much better when you choose to do it with God than try to figure it out all on your own. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, the passage we're, we're going to be really mainly in is Nehemiah chapter 1. And what Nehemiah cha- or Nehemiah's story, uh, if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, is he um, was an Israelite. So his people were, um, a, a long time ago, they were freed from the Egyptians they were God's chosen people. They were sent to the promised land. So they lived in the promised land. And God told the Israelite people that he said, if you stay focused on me, if I'm your number one thing, priority in life, I'm going to bless your land. I'm going to take care of you. Things are going to be okay. But if you choose to follow other gods or other idols or other ways, then I'm going to, you know, then other people are going to come and take this territory. Like it's going to be, it's going to be overthrown. And uh, so the people who um, were there, you know, they were faithful. But as time goes on and on and on, people kind of start to forget about God and, and start to 
not even really know who God is. Like it, it said that there were generation after generation after generation who didn't even hear about God. And so God eventually um, allows the Israelite people to get overtaken. Nehemiah and his family were captured by the Babylonians. That's the name of the people who um, are in control of Nehemiah. Nehemiah lives amongst the Babylonians. He's an Israelite that lives with the Babylonians. And he, we get to this picture, and we, we, we start Nehemiah chapter 1, where um, we all know about the, the wall, like the wall of Jericho, the wall that was built that would keep everybody safe in it. Nehemiah and his people were trying to rebuild that wall, and time after time and time and time again, it, it would just always fail because all of the nearby cities didn't like the Babylonians, so they would just attack anybody who tried to build this wall. Anybody who tried to fix it, we're going we're gonna to kill them, we're going to attack them. Um, so Nehemiah's people was, were never successful in being able to rebuild it. Um, and we, we jump into Nehemiah chapter 1, and this is what it says. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah, he, he's asking his friends, they said, how did, he said, how did rebuilding the wall go? And he said, well, you know, some of us were captured, some of us were killed, and the wall never made any progress. And he, those were his friends, those were his brothers and sisters, and and a lot of them were captured and killed. And so his, his response is, he said, I just got to get away and, and kind of process what's going on. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we hear about an issue that's going on in our life, our response as, as people is normally to hear the problem and then go and fix the problem. This person needs help with this. This person needs that. I need to figure out how to do this. So our initial response, whenever a problem comes our way, is I, as a, I am going to go deal with it. I'm going to go, roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. And while that's not a bad thing, you know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. We have to be people who are working, people who are working out our faith. I think the most, I think the most important thing that we can do first is pray. I believe that before we should do anything, we should pray. And this is, how I, this is what I tell my students all the time. We need to do more than pray, but we shouldn't do anything until we pray. Another thing I tell my students is prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Our students know. Um, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. It should be the first thing we go to. So um, Nehemiah, like I said, he's, he's really, really upset that his people weren't able to go rebuild this wall. The rest of the story of Nehemiah, which we're not going to get too much into, um, Nehemiah actually feels a burden to go and rebuild this wall. He goes and talks to the king at the time, and he says, I feel, I feel called by God to go rebuild this wall, and he actually is able to do it in 52 days. He succeeds in, in rebuilding a wall in 52 days that for years and years and years, nobody has been able to achieve. Um, and throughout that time, 
uh, Nehemiah multiple times as they're rebuilding the wall, as they're walking to, to, towards the wall, he stops and says, before we continue, before we even start building, we need to pray. Before we start the next project, we need to pray. He stops and prays nine times. He stops work completely to pray. And I want to spend a little bit of time with you guys talking about why is prayer important? Like, why should we bother praying first? Like, why is that the first response that we should have? Um, and the first, the first reason is that prayer shows our dependence on God. Prayer shows our dependence on God. Now, we, are, we need to be God-dependent. We live in a nation that tells you you need to be man-made, you need to be self-dependent, or if you can't be self-dependent, you need to be government-dependent. That's the nation and the reality that we live in right now. But I think especially in this county, we as people really like to try to figure it out ourselves. And I think that we need to be people who realize, man, I need help. I need support. I need Jesus before I need anything else. I need a relationship with God. I need, I need his blessing before I run into anything. We've got to fight against that in our hearts. Um, Philippians 4 says it this way. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. We are people who get really worried about a lot of things that we can't control. Um, and I think that we, we should be people who realize, like, he is God and I am not God. He's going to take care of it. And I'm the one who just needs to be faithful in the middle of it. Like, that's, that should be our response every single time. He is God and I am not God. I'm going to let him do what only he can do. And I'm not going to carry things that aren't mine to carry. Because when we start doing that, that's when we start falling into sin. That's when we start really struggling. Because we're carrying things that God should be taking care of. And we're trying to take care of it on our own. John 15, 5 puts it this way. It says, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear fruit. But apart from me... You can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, I wonder, often wonder myself about times where I have tried to do things on my own and done things on my own. If I had, if I had invited God into it, what the difference would have been because he was a part of it. Rather than just have Taylor figure it out on himself, by himself. If God was a part of it, what would it have looked like? What could have happened if, if he was in it? And every day we need to remember that, man, Taylor, you are not God. You, you can't do this on your own. And if you do, it's not going to go well. That when we pray, we're not actually really informing God of our prayer requests. Like when we say, God, I need help with my finances this week, or God, I need help with my kids, or I need help with this. Like, it's not like when we tell God that, he's like, oh, in me, I had no idea you needed help with that. Like God knows exactly what we're going through. He knows, every, he knows everything we've ever done. He knows the needs that we have. The Bible makes it clear that. But when we talk to him, what we should be doing is saying, God, this is my problem. This is what I'm asking. This is what I need. But God, the solution is yours. Because if, if, if we give it to God and let him deal with it, then we can take a step back and take a breath because we know he's in charge of it. And we're not in charge of it anymore. We got to let God be God and we got to be ourselves. We got to remember that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he can do things that we can't. We have to lean on that. 
And if, if we do that, point number two, prayer lightens our load. Prayer lightens our load. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, we already read it. Uh, but Nehemiah's response when he heard about what was going on with the wall. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I was mourning. I was mourning for days. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the word Nehemiah, the name Nehemiah, literally translates to the Lord is my comfort. Um, I want you guys to know that I'm, I'm sure that there's plenty of people, almost probably everybody in this room who's struggling with something. Who's got a real struggle that you've experienced a loss in your life that you just can't get past. That you're struggling with an addiction that you just can't break. That your marriage might be on the rocks. That your finances, there's more month at the end of your money. I know that probably all of us in this room are struggling with something. Just like what Nehemiah was. And one thing that's so valuable to do is we have to be people who process it. You know, I... And I'm not just saying, like, have a conversation with your spouse, but find somebody you can talk to that can help you get through something. I was talking to one of our elders not too long ago, Larry Diebel, and he was telling me every Thursday he meets with a guy to talk about how he can just process through what's going on in his life. And that's been a blessing for him. Some of the people in this room are part of a community group. And I promise you, if you ask them if it's been fruitful, the answer is yes. It has been extremely fruitful. We've got to be people who are, are, are going to other people to get help, the help we need. We've got to be people who process what we're going through. Because I think too many of us are carrying weights that we shouldn't be carrying. Doug Engel, he's my community group leader. Um, he gave me this box. It's the manliest box he could find. It's got sparkles on the top. Uh, I don't know why he chose that one, but he did. And uh, he gave me, he, he put some pieces of paper in it and he said, Taylor, I want you to write down things that you're worried about and fold it up and put it in the box. And it's just a, it's a, I would encourage anybody to do this. It's a really good visual to say, you know what? It's in the box. God is in control of it right now. God's got it. And then times when I'm worrying about it, times when I say, you know what? I got I to gotta put my hand back on this and start dealing with it again. I need to take it out and remind myself, God is not doing anything to make this better because I'm taking it from him. I'm, I'm adding more weight that I don't need and making it so I'm in charge of it and it's only going to get fixed if I deal with it rather than let God be in charge of it. I would encourage anybody to do this because it's been a real blessing for my life. Um, but guys, we're carrying weights that we should not be carrying. And Jesus puts it this way. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. If you're tired, if you're stressed, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Man, those are soothing words right there. I am gentle and humble. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And I want you guys to know this, that God has a perfect track record over and over and over and over and over again. Times when his people had needed him in scripture, he showed up. He's never failed me in my life, and I know he's never going to. He's never failed once. And so I want you guys to know, and this is so true for me. I have to preach this every day. If I'm still feeling heavy, 
then there's prob- it's probably because I'm carrying something that I shouldn't be. If I'm feeling heavy, it's probably because I'm carrying something that I shouldn't be. We have to remember that God is God and we are not God. And there's a ton of things that are not ours to handle. It's God's to take care of. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties and worries on him because he cares for you. If we go back to our text in Matthew where he, he saw the people, the Bible says he saw the crowd, he looked out and he saw the people and they were helpless and they needed something, it says that he had compassion for them. I want you to know that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're fighting through, Jesus sees you. And maybe that's the one thing you needed to hear today. Jesus sees you and he knows what you're going through. And he wants something even better for you. He's got a plan for your life, but it has to start with connection with him. It's got to start with letting him take control of it. God sees you and he has compassion for you and he loves you so much. Point number three, reason why we should pray. It releases God's power. And this is so cool. I read this verse and I was like, man, this should be a, this should be a refrigerator verse. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't even know. It's like God has the power to tell you things that are going to happen. God has the power to do anything. He has the power to tell you things you don't know. Like, that's so cool. Uh, James 5, 13 through 16, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is powerful and effective. And I would hate to be somebody who is a follower of Jesus who's got all these struggles and knows people who are struggling. And, and I have the power in my hands to just pray and say, God, bless this person today. God, impact this, this area of my life. But I just choose not to use it. We have to be Christians who unleash heaven on people. We got to be Christians who unleash heaven on our circumstances and our situations and unleash heaven on the world. And it has to start with our prayers. We've got to be Christians who unleash heaven. Um, I want to spend the rest of our time just kind of giving you guys an outline of maybe, maybe some things to say in your prayer. Because maybe you're in this room and you say, you know what? I, prayer doesn't come naturally to me. It's not something I'm super comfortable with. I don't even know how to really get started. I don't know how to use the word thou in a sentence. You know, um, Wherever you're at in, your, in prayer, I want to give you guys just a basic outline of how you can pray. And I want to continue... Um, from where we left off in, in uh, this, the Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah, he has just kind of been processing what, what, what he just heard. And now we see that before he responds with anything, he's going to talk to God. Um, the next verse, verse 5, it says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandment. And I want to break that first sentence down. Point number one is that we need to say, God, this is who you are. The first thing that he says is, God of heaven, the great God. I think that if we remind God how great he is, it's not that he needs to know, but it reminds us how great our God is. It reminds us his position. 
that God, you are holy, you are higher, you are set apart from anything. That if you stacked everybody's efforts on top of each other, it still wouldn't amount to you. You don't have an equal, you don't have a rival. It doesn't matter what people say because you are in control, you are powerful. If we remind ourselves that, that God's powerful, it reminds us that we can get through anything because he's powerful. The next thing, it says that you are an awesome God. And I, I, was, I just decided to do this earlier. I, I did an exercise with my students, uh, with the students at youth group. Um, we went through Psalm chapter 136. Um, and we just read it. And it's just so cool because it's just a reminder of all the times God has shown up in Scripture. Um, and I just want to read you guys a couple of the verses that, uh, that just, just awesome things about God. Um, it says, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made heaven. To him who spread out the earth above water. To him who made great lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. To him who struck down the firstborn. To him who... With a strong hand uh, and an outstretched arm, divided the Red Sea. Like it just keeps going on and on and on and just sharing about amazing things that God has done. Like that's, that's so powerful. Just if you just in your life think, man, God, I just thank you because you provided those finances when I was, when I was struggling. God, you provided that relationship in my life when I needed somebody to talk to. Like you just remind God how awesome he is. It, again, it gives you this excitement to say, I know he's going to respond again. I know he's going to do it again. I know he's going to do it again. He has the power to do it over and over and over, and he always does. And then the third thing we see in that passage is he says, God, you're faithful. You always keep your commandments. And I think we have to remember God's promises. You know, if you look back in the Old Testament, um, when, God would always, when God would reveal his character, he would always come with another name. So you would, the, the Israelite people, they would, they would enter a battle with 10 to 1, like 10 enemies for every one of them. And they wouldn't even need to pull out a sword. They would just play a trumpet and they would win the, the battle. Like it doesn't make sense. God, because God was the winner of their battle. Like he fought their battles. And the Bible, when, he, when that happens, he said, remember, my name is Jehovah Nisi. Like, I, I win your battles. The Bible says, I'm Jehovah Shalom. Like, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you give me peace. Like, over and over and over again, we see in times of, in, in the scriptures, times when God reveals another characteristic about himself. He's always teaching us something about himself. So I would encourage you guys to go back and look at the Old Testament names of God because there's hundreds of them. And it's just all reminders. God, you were faithful. God, you were righteous. You are my righteousness. When I didn't deserve it, you gave me grace. God, you're my banner. You're my protector. You're my healer. Fill in the blank. He's all of those things. Remind yourself of all the good things about God. And then point number two, or uh, then it goes on and it says, Nehemiah, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Point number two is, God, this is who I am. 
So we just reminded ourselves who God is. Now we, remind, we tell God who we are. The Bible says over and over that we, we have fallen short. Again, that God is higher than us. So we have to, we, this, is, this is where Nehemiah spends time saying, God, I've, I've sinned. I've messed up. This is what I'm confessing to you. But he does more than just that. Again, that verse, he says, including myself and my father's family. Like he didn't just say, you know what, like I have sinned against you. He said, God, my nation, my fathers, my family, my country has sinned against you. He took all of that upon himself. Like that's what, that's what being a true leader is, is it's somebody who's, who doesn't just push off blame. It's somebody who takes the ownership for themselves. John Calipari, a very successful basketball coach, says, leaders accept blame. Losers are always accusers and excusers. Leaders accept the blame. Because if it's always somebody else's fault, it's their responsibility to get you out of it. But if you take the ownership upon yourself, you can do something about it. And so Nehemiah, he knew the passage in Scripture that said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, then I will hear their prayers and answer them. He knew that in his heart. And he said, I'm going to take ownership for all the sins of my family and my country because, because I'm gonna, I feel like God's calling me to do something about it. He took the ownership. He didn't take the blame. And that's the type of person you want to follow. Nehemiah, he goes on and he, he says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, and this is so cool, this is what God said, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, that even if your exiled people are, the furthest, are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them there, from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He says, Guys, if you're lost, if you're broken, come back to me, and I'll got you. Come back to me. And, and what, what he did there is he says, God, this is what you said. It's so powerful, again, to be able to remind God what he said. If you need help or you need something, you need a Savior, you need something, the Bible has over 700 promises in this book about ways God is going to show up for you. I would encourage you guys... Just redeem Google. Go to Google and say, just type in the promises of God to say, man, God is going to supply all my needs. If he, if he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe me? If he loves the crows, how much more does he love me? You know, like over and over and over, you see these promises of God that he will take care of you. He will heal you. He will comfort you. Look up those scriptures because this is what I would say. Um, the strength of my prayers depends on my knowledge of God's promise. The strength of your prayers depends on your knowledge of God's promise. We've got to get to know our Bibles better. We've got to get to, be, get to the point where we say, you know what, I know what God said, and if he said it, he's going to do it, and I'm going to live that out. I don't have to fear because I know God's going to show up because he said he would. God, this is what you said. It goes on in, in, the, in the passage of Nehemiah. It says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give me success today by granting me favor in the presence of the king. So what he's about to do is he's about to go and talk to the king and say, King, I need, I need to stop doing my job. 
I need soldiers. I need money. I need builders. I need, I need you to take a lot of your citizens out of the city, and I need you to help allow me to go and rebuild this wall. And the king, it, he had already made a decree that he was not going to allow it um, because it, had, it was just a project that failed dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And, and Nehemiah, he felt like God was telling him to do it. He said, I'm going to be faithful. But from the beginning of this prayer, where he first starts praying, to the time where he goes and actually talks to the king and makes that request is a four-month time span. And I can't help but wonder how his prayer life had changed in those first four months. And I would encourage you guys, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're in this room and you'd say, you know, I could probably use some more, like more prayer in my life. I probably need to pray more. When you first start, it's gonna, you're going you're gonna to say, you know what? I've prayed and I've prayed and I've said everything I had to say and it's been a minute and 30 seconds. That's how prayer probably will start for everybody. Because the Bible says, fight with me, labor with me in prayer. He's, it's God saying prayer isn't the easiest thing in the world. It's something we have to get used to. And I wonder if Nehemiah's prayer started with saying, God, I'm just, I'm just upset that the wall has been destroyed and my people were killed and captured. God, this is awful. And then his prayer life turned to, God, maybe you need to rebuild this city. Me rebuild this wall. Maybe you need to do this. And then he said, God, you haven't sent anybody. Like you said it's going to get rebuilt. You need to send somebody. And then maybe his prayers turned into, God, are you sending me? Because like, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what my next step is. God, that's a big task. I'm afraid. Maybe that, maybe you, see the, you see the chronology of his prayers. And then, he, and then maybe it's, God, I am, I, the, this is a big task. I don't know what's next. But send me. God, send me. See, his prayers for a four-month time span got him to the point where he, he goes up to the king and basically makes a request that the king could have seen as wasting his time. You know, because the king had already made that decree that it wasn't going to happen. But because he was faithful and because he just said, God, what's my next step? What's the next thing you want me to do? And because he was faithful in the next thing, he rebuilt the city's wall in 52 days. He did something that nobody could ever do. And I want to wrap up by connecting it back to our passage in Matthew. The passage says that Jesus looked out to the crowd. He saw them. He had compassion on them because they were helpless. And then it says he looks at his disciples and he didn't tell them, hey, go and tell them the good news. He didn't say that. He said, pray. Pray to that the Lord would send labor. God could send laborers if he wanted to, but he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. That we as Christians have to be examples to the world. I shared this also with our students, but um, there's a story in Exodus. You know, Nehemiah's family, they're the Israelite family. They were freed from the Egyptians. For the longest time, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And Moses, you maybe have heard the story, Moses comes in, he says, let my people go. And then Moses walks them out of Egypt and crosses the Red Sea. Well, it's the great, the great freedom story for the Israelites. But it's, it's more complex than that. Moses walked in and he met with Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, there's no way I'm letting all of my slaves leave Egypt. That makes no sense financially. I mean, they do all the work for us, you know. 
I'm not letting your people go. And then Moses says, okay, well, God's going to send plagues. You know, we've all heard of the plagues. So the first plague is the Nile River was full, became just turned into blood. It went from water to blood. And all the fish died uh, once, once it turned to blood. They all just floated to the top, died. Says that the city stunk really bad. Obviously makes sense. Um, and then the next plague, there were frogs. Just, just city flooded with frogs. And then the next plague, the city flooded with gnats. And what, what I noticed is, at least from, from those first three, those plagues affected the Egyptians and the Israelites. It affected God's enemies and God's people. It affected the people who said, I follow God, and the people who said, I don't follow God. It affected them both the same. And at the end, when Moses took them out of Egypt, took the Israelites out of Egypt, it says that all the Israelites went with Moses and some others went with him. I want you to know that there were some Egyptians that saw how the Israelites were handling all these plagues and they said, they have some, like they're experiencing the same thing as me, but they're handling it a completely different way. I want to challenge you guys to be Christians who are leaders. And when, you, when they see a trial that you're going through, because again, we're all struggling. When somebody sees a trial that you're facing, they say, that he, he has something that I don't. I need that. Man, I saw the way you were fighting with your spouse and now you're praying together and your relationship is, is so much better. How do I get that? Man, I see that you have no money in your bank account and you're content. Where does that come from? That we can be Christians who bring people with us. And it starts with prayer. It has to start with our connection with God and saying, God, you are God. I am not. Do what only you can do. Let's be people who do that this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we as people, we recognize that we can't do it on our own. We can't. It's not possible. God, I pray that we're people who recognize that we need a Savior. God, we know that you are the best Savior because you love us so much that you, you sent your Son to the cross. God, I thank you so much that you love me and everybody in this room enough that even though you knew our sins, even though we're still probably struggling, you still with us. You still love us, and you're going to keep doing a work in us. God, I pray that our prayer life would grow and strengthen today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.